AT&T Threat Track is a roundtable discussion of the latest network security trends and news conducted by AT&T data security analysts. Complete video of this show is available at techchannel.att.com. Matt, uh, talk to us about this botnet that changes your router into an email spanner. Yeah, this one's interesting. So uh, Chihu 360, known Chinese security company, put out a report talking about some port scanning they observed. And actually, we've been observing the same port scanning, port 5431. There's been uptick in scanning on that port for a while now, and we've known there was a vulnerability involving Broadcom uh, devices. We didn't know who was scanning for it. So it turns out they've actually done some research. They actually created their own honeypot, and they found out that not only is there scanning on that port 5431, a successful scan on that port from this, this botnet that's scanning will trigger a scan on port 1900 UDP which is UPnP, and that's where the vulnerability actually lies. So they're using that first port to key off and say, okay, I've recognized this as a vulnerable device, and then following it up with the actual attack. So if, if a certain port is open on the device, it's even sometimes more valuable in determining what kind of device it is than scanning a more generic port. Whoever wrote this botnet's pretty clever and experienced, it seems, because according to Chihu uh, 360, the shell code they're pushing isn't like copied and pasted from anywhere else. And writing shellcode is a relatively difficult thing to do. This is all original shellcode they've written for these, these IoT devices. And once the malware's on the device, it becomes a proxy for the attacker to use to connect to different popular mail services and send spam email, like Bindu mentioned. So this is a pretty sophisticated botnet. It's got about 10, no, it's got 100,000 members of varying different device types. And the blog post actually lists out the devices that they've seen um, from their own fingerprinting of the ones that are participating in the botnet. So another IoT botnet, another interesting take on this. Uh, finally, explanation for who is scanning for this one vulnerable port. It's actually an older vulnerability. Um, I think it was developed. It was found in 2013, but only released in 2017. Yeah, I think so. Um, because whoever found it realized it affected a whole bunch of different devices that had a Broadcom chipset. And that's a lot of different devices. A lot of these devices probably either won't get a patch or people won't realize that there is a patch. So the likelihood is that a lot of them will just stay running. So the upshot is, if you own any of the devices that are on the list from this, this report, it's time to reconsider if you need to use them at all. Maybe you should be uh, going to the manufacturer for a patch, or maybe you should be replacing it with something a little more modern. All in all, this is yet another story of IoT <laughs> security issues um, and kind of a different twist. I mean, I've seen a lot of these bots being used for DDoS attacks, um, but spam, uh, proxying for spam is kind of a, a newer, more interesting uh, technique to be used. It's a botnet, you know, it's got plenty of uses. This is just slightly different from what we're used to seeing. Right. So did you, so was it just, like what were the just infecting IoT devices or was it, because um, I don't remember exactly the list, because if, is it devices that people will never know is infected, right? So like, Well, things like their, their router. Like yeah. if you've got a, 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 um, a DSL router at home, right. something that's at the very edge of your network, right. you might notice that it's operating slower than usual, right. um, but most people don't have the vantage point on the outside of the router to actually see that communications. Right. Let's be fair, most people don't have the knowledge to tell what, what's that C2 traffic anyway. Right. But, it's, it's not something that an, even a casual user would ever under, understand. And probably the average IT guy wouldn't bother to look on the outside of the router for the cause right, right. Uh, 
to, to find out that this thing is, is uh, infected. Um, but it's covering devices from Action Tech, D-Link, uh, TP-Link is another one people would recognize, certain models of Linksys, Zizel, so pretty well known. Again, this is all based off of the Broadcom chips, that that's the commonality between them. Yeah, see, like, I don't see how someone at home that has no idea this vulnerability is out, and, and, if, and if they keep their low levels relatively okay, where, like, it doesn't make the router crash, mm -hmm. Why would you change? Why would you update? Why would you go and, and you don't know? It's, it's true. crazy. <laughs> I mean, I, I thank the home viewers who are watching this show who yeah, may actually so. go out and look for it yes. and maybe talk to their neighbors and say, hey, look we should look list. at this. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I'm, I'm realistic. I understand exactly what uh, number of people are out watching our show as opposed to The Walking Dead. Um, I don't think we have the, the market penetration to say that people are going to go be checking for this. Right, so. right. So, but yeah. Bindi, what do you think? I think, you know, we've talked about IoT botnets before, but I think something like this, you know, similar to the cameras that we've spoken about before, I think it's yeah, it's the larger impact, right? It's, it's gotten not not the enterprise as such, but more along the consumers, you know, so the mass of consumers that don't treat their, you know, IoT devices as, you know, uh, carefully as they would treat a computer, for example. I think it's going to that, um, you know, talk that we always give around, you know, security hygiene and security awareness across the board, whether it is your end user or an enterprise user. A tip for the consumers is just to be aware of the devices that they're connecting to the internet. So in this case, unfortunately, you know, look to see if your router is in this list. If it is, see if there's a patch, if there's not, you should get a new one because otherwise you're, you're just vulnerable. I mean, there's no way around it. So Bindu, I, you brought us a story about a lesson that people just don't seem to learn. <laughs> yeah, you know, it is very interesting when I read this one. Um, it, this is a poll that was done by Shreddit, and it uh, basically surveyed about uh, 1,200 folks across different demographics. And, uh, you know, wants to better understand, you know, what their awareness is around uh, identity theft, fraud, you know, how does their password hygiene keep up or not. So what is very interesting in this one is, you know, the awareness around identity theft and fraud in general is much higher than ever before. And we see, you know, about uh, a large percentage of people are aware that, you know, their credentials are being stolen. But at the same time, the fact that, you know, security is as much about technology as it is about human psychology as well. So it it's ironic that people, although they're aware of, you know, these data breaches and know that, you know, their sensitive data is being stolen, they still end up using the same set of password combinations, whether it is across, uh, you know, their phone password or their ATM pin numbers, you know, or their user ID and password still sort of rotate through the same combinations that they've always been using, right? So. All of us that are using a system today, any sort of social media accounts, we need to think of our passwords and make sure that you know, don't reuse them. It's a lesson that I think we want people to be paying more attention to, understanding why it is they shouldn't reuse their passwords, as convenient as it is. A lot of people won't make that change until it directly affects them, and at that point it's too late. So, Bindu, did the article that you read, did it have any statistics on how many people actually admitted to reusing their passwords? Yes. you know. Um, I believe it was about 60% of uh, users reuse their passwords, uh, and the awareness of uh, across the different demographics, 85% of them 
uh, understand cyber fraud and understand identity theft. Even then, a significant amount of that population was still reusing passwords. Wow, that is concerning. That's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So one thing that I think has changed my life is the use of password managers. I don't think that I could keep track of every single password that I've ever made in every website without it. And I, that allows me to not have to reuse passwords. Now I just pick random. I know my master password. I have a master key. I don't have to worry about it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I don't have to remember any password. And I can make them all different, all at the max amount of characters allowed, because a lot of the places change their length, right? And that's one of those things where the user is like, oh, well, my 14-character password doesn't work in this place. And then I have to, oh, this place requires this one symbol. But this other place doesn't allow me to use this symbol. And it gets really complex. We could get into a whole long discussion <laughs> on password strength Calculation yeah, and required characters because right. everybody seems to have a different opinion <laughs> right. on what the right way to do it is. I mean, right. I think longer is better. I think at a certain point, the number of different types of characters sets becomes less important as soon as you reach like a 32 character password. I mean, mathematically, yes, there is a difference. Right, right. But realistically, I think most people aren't going to spend the amount of time to crack every last password. What they'll do is if they start cracking passwords, they'll start with the ones that they think they can get. They'll, they'll find a handful of the ones that are valuable and say, okay. I'm good. I don't need to crack the guy who has a 32-character password because I've got, you know, whoever put in password as their password, and that's just as, as good, right. you know? <laughs> oh, man, I give out. That's my master password. Right? I'm sorry. <laughs> I didn't mean to do that. We, we could cut that part, right? Yeah, I yeah, think okay. so. <laughs> Given sort of the, um, you know, as a cyber citizen today, we all hold about 30, you know, different logins and passwords, right? So the psychology to sort of reuse the same is mainly because it's hard to manage it. And yes, ideally, we want to get away from passwords and move towards something like multi-factor authentication. But uh, as a generic user community, I think we still want to bring this as part of, you know, your sort of late uh, towards the end of the year as you're, you know, working through different lists. Make sure that, you know, your passwords are not something that you're taking lightly. That's right. Yeah, I agree. So hopefully this information being out there will convince some more people to change their passwords and use unique ones across different services. So Jonathan, we have an interesting new wrinkle in the way that the Emotet botnet is operating. Can you tell us a bit about it? That's right. So um, I was just looking at stories that I could bring here and I saw oh, Emotet and I'm like, wait a minute, that sounds very familiar. And I'm like, this is old? And I look at it and it turns out they've added a new module. So first of all, Imotet is uh, it's actually from 2014, uh, and it's usually just, uh, it was meant to be a banking Trojan, and it's been, every year there's an evolution to it. It's a modular botnet. It was originally for stealing banking credentials, but now has recently added the ability to steal entire emails out of someone's machine. Uh, by interacting with Microsoft Outlook. So this is something new that the new rendition uh, of this uh, campaign is doing. Um, and to me, it just seemed odd, because if you go back to the history of it, it's always been kind of financially mo motivated, right? So like, even when it started, it was a banking trojan, so it was trying to get credentials. You know, eventually it started, you know, it, it, it was actually being used to deploy other malware, so I assumed they were getting paid for that, so there was some money. Mm -hmm. But to me, getting the body of an email, I, I don't know how you can quickly make money out of that. It's, it's odd to me that they started doing that. 
Um, you know, I, I can go into the James Bond mode and say that maybe there's some cyber espionage happening now because why, why kind of change your you know MO <laughs> of 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 getting uh, a certain thing and now it's like all right well, let's get the whole email see what they're saying um, maybe they're gonna use it later to better their campaigns I, I have no idea but it was just interesting that that, that change happened and it's still going right so. This is 2014 we're talking about. This must be some group that is just developing and just sure. keeps having, I don't know, agile sprint, <laughs> I mean, um, weekly meetups and said, well, how do I make this better? It's just very interesting that they keep adding things to it. Yeah, so it sounds like when you, when you start talking about malware going modular, yeah. a lot of the times that's because they've got like a customer base and they right. want to be able to support certain things for certain customers, so right. they make it modular, so they can easily drop in new code and say, okay, now I've added this function, right. I can sell that. Um, it is interesting that they're going after email, and while it's possible that they are doing it for espionage regions, I mean, you get somebody's emails, you have a, a window into their life, and anything sensitive that passes through, obviously they can steal. But I'm wondering if the original point of the malware was to capture banking credentials for you know, bank fraud, yeah. stealing money from people's bank accounts, if there are any banks that have started interest to um, like a second factor through email, which isn't a great idea, but it's possibility. If anything is being sent out of band through email to people, that might be a reason to go after that sort of information. That I hadn't thought of. That's yeah. actually a very good point. So, or say a password reset. So if an attacker gets both the username and password, but not like some other right. something they need, maybe they can trigger a password reset. It goes to the user's email, right. and they have the user's email. Right. So if they're quick enough about it and the user doesn't notice that they've received that password reset email, the attacker can use that to take control of the account. It's another theory, you know, no, just a theory. That's, I, I go James Bond, I think you went probably <laughs> a little bit closer to real life because I think that is, a, yeah, that's a good point. You know, I think uh, in, the, in the earlier story, Bindu was talking about two-factor, and if your two-factor is your, e your second factor is a code sent to your email, mm -hmm. they kind of just broke that. They did? Right, like they just look for keywords and, you know, they're sending the email payload to their command and control, and now they can just, I assume they have some way of correlating what information as part of what email set and be mm -hmm. like, where is the key? So you like know? victim A yeah. gets an update and says, right. it's installed, I've got this from the, the, the banking plugin, right. and then victim A also reports this was in the contents of the email. Right, there you go. Yeah. So Bindu, what are your thoughts on this? So, you know, given that this is not uh, it's basically an older malware becoming new, and the fact that, uh, you know, it's really changed its MO, I'm also thinking that this could be used at a very targeted, uh, you know, population or market that they may go after, right? So they may be testing it out, you know, for a certain uh, specific contents from that body of the email. We have seen in the past where when malware, which is modular, starts to change, uh, what it's going after, it could be, you know, for a certain target that it is wanting to, you know, get that type of information. So this will be interesting to see what it uh, morphs itself into in the coming months. Agreed. Yeah, definitely. Having Jonathan on the show was great. Uh, we actually have conversations outside of the show about security topics. Uh, we've worked on several projects together. So it's good to finally see him joining the Threat Track family. Matt is great. I'm always trying to get insights from what he says. Uh, Bindu is always great, also, and I'm glad to be part of the Threat Track team if they'll have me back. <laughs> 
let's take a look at this week's internet weather. So the top 10 most probe ports for the last week, uh, port 23 TCP Townets still at the top, followed by 445 TCP, that's uh, SMB, again, still in second place. Um, ADTCP is up seven spots, although it's hard to say what that specifically is for, because there's plenty of uh, different web servers that run on AD. Uh, but something has made that change significantly. Uh, 81 is another web port, but we know it more for being related to uh, IoT cameras and the Mirai botnets that's been scanning for that. 1433 is up one spot, and that is Microsoft SQL Server. 22 TCP is SSH, that's down a spot. Uh, 80 ICMP, which is ping, is up two spots. 3389 is remote desktop protocol. 8888 is up 106 spots. <laughs> And that's an interesting one. I'm not really sure what's going on, but we'll take a closer look at it later. Uh, and 21 TCP is FTP. Take a look at the most sources probing. 445 and 23 are still at the top. 8080 is moved one spot. 5431, which we talked about in the Broadcom bug, uh, that is down by one. Uh, 80 TCP is in fifth. 5555 is Android Remote Debug Bridge, uh, which we've seen a lot of for a while now. That's only really moved one spot. 37215 is up 15 spots. We'll take a closer look at that. 80 is an eighth, 81 is a ninth, and 31 ICMP, which is network unreachable, is actually up by six spots, which is interesting because typically that is known as a response. Uh, I'm not really sure what to make of that either, but it may just be that a large part of the network when we measured it was experiencing some sort of unreachable states. So um, that could be it. 445 TCP, you can see, is actually trending slowly downward. This is a 90-day view and the number of scanned sources on that. Um, we usually attribute this to WannaCry and the related Eternal Blue, Eternal Romance bugs. So that scanning's been pretty consistent, but it seems to be sloping downwards. Hopefully that means that people are cleaning up their machines, but uh, who knows? Maybe holidays, they get new computers. Oh, I hope so. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you know, I've always wondered if we had a major blackout in the US, but we still had network traffic, if we would have afterwards see a significant decrease in the number of infected IoT routers when those things come back that on. That will be interesting. Well, it'll be, uh, <laughs> would be interesting. Uh, port 23 TCP is Telnet, and that's been sort of on a, yeah, a regular pattern of waving up and down for a considerable amount of time now. We haven't seen too much change here uh, in quite a bit, and this is a 60-day view of the scan flows. Um, here we are, 5431 and 1900. I put them side by side because I want to see if there was any sort of significant correlation between the scanning on uh, the number of scan sources on the uh, 5431, which in the article we talked about said that that was the, sort of the trigger port to say, if 5431's open, check 1900 next. Right. Um, there's no significant amount of scanning change in the number of flows on 1900. Uh, so maybe the number of, because the scanning the entire IP space. So some Could tiny be, fraction yeah. of that is going to actually be listening. Right. So that's, there's probably no real correlation between these two, right. uh, but I figured I'd take a look at it in light of the story that we had. Yeah, and if they don't get a response from 5431 and whatever, they just keep going, right? They just so keep going, yeah. yep. Uh, so these are scanned sources on port 37215, which is related to the Huawei HG532 device. It's a remote code execution bug, and we've talked about it on the show before. However, in the last week or so, we've seen a massive uptick. The number of sources, uh, the, most of them are in the US, China, and Russia. Uh, and you can see this is in the order of uh, thousands of scanned sources per hour. So we're coming up around 900 thousand scan sources per hour here. 
Yeah, so someone's busy. Someone is busy. <laughs> yeah. Now this is something we have been tracking for a while uh, at a much lower rate of scanning, and now it's up around 9,000 scan sources per hour. So someone is interested in this vulnerability more than they were before. Uh, this is at port 8888, and to be honest, I didn't get as much information on this one as I had hoped that I would. Um, but this one, port 8888, is you know the number when you, you typically see eight or eighty or any of those eight thousands or eight hundred, you can usually kind of assume they're related to a web port. Uh, here, the only references I was able to find were to this uh, VPN company called Private Internet Access, who uses that in some of their connections. Although, to see scanning like this, uh, I'm not really sure what to make of that. Right. Usually, a VPN company doesn't have like a, a whole ton of different endpoints that you would see this traffic out to. But I think they're pretty big. But they are a larger a VPN provider. I'm just not sure why anyone would go scanning for VPN endpoints <laughs> that are listening. That's you know, true. It's yeah. a little bit weird. And I think they list all their... They do. I mean, you would have to list those endpoints in order to connect yeah. to the service. So, so what's up? <laughs> yeah, right, right. Yeah. So I, unfortunately, I can't say too much more maybe about we'll, it than that. We'll find out what it is. Yeah. So that's always interesting with internet weather because they seem to see it as it starts, and then a few weeks later, we find out what it was. So I always, I'm always watching when they see spikes in activity to see when they find out what that thing is. And then 37264, uh, I did see a change in the baseline for that one, but it seems to be this, this, these spikes of sources from the US and Singapore that are scanning. Scan flows are pretty significant. There's only really a handful of sources scanning this from the US and Singapore, uh, but rather hard. And this is a bug that was um, from 2014. Um, CIRCOM is the provider of these devices and Linksys and Netgear, you know, white labeled them. So the bug, if you're interested in looking at it, you can go dig it up. But that seems to be what they're looking for here. And that's our internet weather. Cool. The views expressed on AT&T ThreatTrack are those of the participants and do not necessarily represent the views of AT&T or any other person or entity.